Welcome to the King's Anywhere podcast, inspirational teaching, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whenever you're ready. Uh, I was going to start with a dad joke, which is tricky when John Mark said, deliver a message straight from heaven, but I'm going to go with it anyway. What's ET short for? Because he's got little legs. Uh, never mind. Anyway, good morning. Happy Father's Day. It's fantastic to see you here today. Um, I love that we get to celebrate on Father's Day. We get to celebrate not just dads, but also granddads and father figures as well. Men who have impacted our lives. But what I want to do, first of all, is just take a moment to recognize that actually today can be a challenge for people, even amongst all the celebration, or at best it's a day of mixed emotions. I just want to spend some time praying for people who will find today a challenge. I'm going to lead us from the front. And what I'd like you to do is if you're near somebody who you know is going to be finding today or finding parts of today tough for whatever reason, would you just offer to pray with them for the next few moments? If you know somebody maybe who's not here who uh, will be finding today tough, then you can you can pray for them as well. I'll just, just lead us from the front and we'll just spend a few moments praying for those people. So Father, we thank you. For all the people who are being called to mind now. Jesus, we recognize that today can be difficult. It can be a challenge. Despite the fact that it is a day of celebration, for some it can be a day of of sorrow. Think particularly for people whose fathers or grandfathers or father figures are no longer with us. Maybe they're remembering them today. Jesus, I'm very conscious to ask you to bless and comfort people who are geographically separated from their parents today. If they're a long way away for whatever reason it is, Lord, would you come by your Holy Spirit and bring comfort? Lord, for people who being a father is difficult or not being a father is difficult, we pray that you would bring comfort there as well. And for anybody else, Jesus, who for whatever reason is finding today a challenge, is finding today tough. We thank you that you are our eternal Father. We thank you that in you we have hope. We thank you that in you we can find comfort. I just ask that you would move Holy Spirit now. Bring that comfort. Bring that joy. As memories start to flood to minds, Father, we thank you for the good memories that this is stirring up on this day. Thank you for the joy that they bring to heart. For the memories that are a little bit more difficult, Lord, we pray that you would bring comfort and healing. Above all, Father, we thank you that you are our eternal Father, our heavenly Father, that in you we get to have our hope. Amen. Amen. So I wanted to to start this morning by praying like that because... You know, it's, it's the right thing to do, isn't it, to pause on this day and, and reflect and remember people who are finding today difficult. But also, it, it gives us a chance to, or gave me a chance to demonstrate one of the, what I think is one of the most incredible things about the Christian faith. That we get to call God Father. As people who live a couple of millennia into the Christian era, it can be quite easy to miss the significance of that. We're used to hearing it, aren't we? It can even... We could even potentially take it for granted. But when Jesus, during his earthly ministry, started telling people, started telling his followers to call God Father, to refer to God as Father, it was radical. 
It was dangerous, in fact. In John 5, we have this account of Jesus healing a man on the Sabbath, and that gets him in trouble with the religious leaders. Jesus was in trouble with the religious leaders a lot. And on this particular occasion, they, they ask him questions, why are you doing this? And he answers them by saying, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Your father is at work to this very day. For this reason, though, they tried all the more to kill him. It was radical, it was dangerous, but it doesn't stop him. When the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us how to pray, he gives them what we now call the Lord's Prayer, which starts in Luke's Gospel simply with Father. What Jesus is doing when he teaches them to pray like that is he's taking, he's drawing on the Jewish tradition of the time. In the synagogues of the time, the, the prayers that were read out, the prayers that were read in public, started in one of a selection of ways. One of those was our Father. But here's the thing. There is a whole selection of ways Jesus could have taught us to start to pray. He could have chosen Mighty One, Holy One, Blessed One, Gracious One, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, Redeemer of Israel. All of those are true. All of those are right ways to address God. And Jesus doesn't say only address him as Father because he is mighty. He is gracious. But Jesus chooses Father. One of the reasons I think that this is significant is that Father is a title we all get to use. We all understand it. We all know its significance. There's no theology, there's no history that needs to be explained or understood to know that God is Father. Isn't it incredible that we get to call him that? When Jesus does this, he sort of separates any ideas that there needs to be a particular background or a particular tradition that you come from to get to call God Father. We all get to come to God the Father. We all get to know him. What's really important here as well is that Jesus isn't simply saying that God is like a father. There's a difference, isn't there? There are some people in my life who I am really thankful for who are father figures to me and to my family, and they are an incredible blessing to us, and I am so grateful for them. But there's a difference in the depth of relationship between them and my dad. There just, there just is. It's a, it's a different level of relationship. And what Jesus is doing when he tells us to use this term, our Father, is he is shifting the understanding of God from being about religion to being about relationship. And in Luke 15... He tells a story, a parable, that demonstrates this. This is the parable of the lost son. I'm going to read it all out for us. There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? 
I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And he said to excuse me. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now the older son was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and called to one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. You never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is not about religion. This is about relationship. One of the best ways I think I've heard that summed up. I don't know where it's from, but I heard it from you, John Marks. You can have the credit. Um, And it's this. It says, religion says, I've messed up. My daddy's going to be furious. Relationship says, I've messed up. I've got to tell my dad. In case you hadn't picked up on it, the father in this, this parable represents God. And I'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But let's start with the, the son in the story. See, the son in this story could be any of us. He's, made, he's done that most human of things and he's made a mistake. He's made a really poor, deliberate choice. He's got it wrong and he realizes it. I don't think the son's worst mistake in this is necessarily all the money that he's squandered. I think that is a consequence. I think that's a side effect almost of his biggest mistake, which is his mistaken identity. You see, he thinks that it's his circumstances that define him. First, it's his entitlement. Give me what's mine. And then it's his reckless living. He's trying to build an identity with his money on things that the world values. Then when it's gone, he begins to realize his error. Now he thinks that the whole, his whole identity from this moment forward will be defined by his mistakes. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. It's so easily done, isn't it, to allow yourself to be defined by your failures, by your mistakes, by the things that you can't do or the things that you think you can't do. I want to suggest that it's just as dangerous to allow yourself to be defined by your successes. It's certainly dangerous to allow yourself to be defined by materialism because none of that stuff is going to last. But the incredible thing about this relationship that we're invited into with God is that a relationship works both ways, doesn't it? So calling God Father not only tells us about who God is, but it tells us who we are as well. Unlike our failures or our successes or anything the world offers us to build our identity on, like career, money, looks, take your pick, all of those things are fleeting. 
and finite. The identity we get to from God our Father that we get to build on from God our Father is eternal because he is eternal. In the very first chapter of Genesis, God makes humanity in his image. Now let me clarify what it means by in his image. This isn't talking about a literal physical family likeness. Uh, In our family on the male side, eventually we all end up looking like the big friendly giant. Um, It's happening to me already. It's very much happening to my dad, sorry. Um, But that's not what we're talking about. It's not a physical family likeness, but there is that sort of depth of connection between father and child. We are made in his image. Psalm 139 expands on this when it says, for you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Before you are anything else, you're an image bearer of God who created the whole universe with all its splendor and majesty, but saved his own image for when he made you fearfully and wonderfully made. Choosing to step into that relationship with God the Father, with his son Jesus and with the Holy Spirit means that we get to live out, that we get to live from that identity. So where are you in the story? Where's your identity? What's it built on? Is it built on the things you do or have or your successes? I am worthy because I'm. Or maybe it's built on your mistakes. Your failures, I am not worthy because I'm. Both of those are attitudes of religion, not relationship. See, religion says, you want it, you've got to earn it. Relationship says, Jesus dying words from the cross, paid in full. Religion says, go and do what I say. Relationship says, come, follow me. Religion tries to balance the scale. So if judgment relationship is like the father in the parable who looks with compassion. Religion says you are what you do. Relationship says you are who I made you. If someone's invited you here today, it's not because they want to introduce you to or try and convince you with or try and persuade you with some sort of religion. It's because they have found joy, they have found peace, they have found the comfort and the strength that comes from a relationship with God the Father, with Jesus the Saviour and with the Holy Spirit. And they want you to know that as well. And do you know what? That's God's desire for you too. Think about that for a moment. The God who created the whole world wants a relationship with you, to be with you every day by his Holy Spirit. The God who flung stars into space, who directs the winds and the waves, who raised up the mountains, who makes the rivers, who makes the oceans, wants you to call him Father. Earlier on in Luke 15, Jesus demonstrates the point about this, God's love and compassion and his desire to know us with two shorter parables. The first one is the the parable of the lost sheep. It goes like this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. <coughs> Excuse me. The 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We'll talk about sin and repentance and what they mean shortly, but God desires a relationship with you like the shepherd who leaves the 99 to go and look for the one lost sheep or the woman searching for the coin he sent Jesus to make a way for that relationship. And when you choose to take that, when you choose to step into that relationship, a big old party kicks off in heaven. Isn't that an incredible thought? If you choose to accept Jesus... To step into relationship with God. That you are so precious to him that heaven itself celebrates over you. I would love there to be a party in heaven over some of you this morning. Let's talk about the father in the story. There's a wonderful moment in the story, isn't there? Where he sees his son, he's a long way off. He sees his son and he runs to him. Now, I don't know how you picture this story in your mind's eye, but in my eye, I sort of imagine a kind of long, bumpy, dusty track. It's stretching off into the distance. It's going through fields and past sheep and away into the hills. And I don't think what Jesus is building a picture of when he gives us this story, I don't think that somehow the, the father has just caught a glimpse of his son out of the corner of his eye by chance he's seeing him appear. I think what Jesus is giving us is a picture of a father who has spent every spare moment he had staring into the distance, hoping to see his son appear. Every time he gets a free moment, his eyes drift over there to see, is my son returning? The first thing he does when he gets up in the morning is look to the horizon, is he there? The last thing he does before he goes to bed at night, he can't get himself to take his eyes away from there in case his son comes. And then one day... We don't know how long it's been, weeks, months, years, maybe. His son appears. And he runs. His son's still a long way off, and he runs. I don't imagine it would have been an easy path to run along. He wouldn't have been wearing Adidas trainers like about 90% of the dads in here. But he's filled with compassion for his son, and he runs. And I don't think this is like a Peter K. dad run. I think he's going flat out, lungs burning, legs pumping, eyes streaming with tears, until he gets to his son. He gets to embrace him, and his deepest desire that their relationship be restored is realized. His son starts to say his piece, doesn't he? He's probably rehearsed this a thousand times on the journey home. Father, I have sinned against you and heaven and before, sorry, I've sinned against you and before heaven. I'm not worthy to be called your son, but he doesn't get to the last bit, does he? He's confessed his sin. He's, he's come to his father. He's said everything that he's done wrong, but he doesn't get to the bit about saying, treat me like a servant because his dad is too busy. He's too busy lavishly loving him, lavishly welcoming him home. The best robe, shoes for his feet, a ring for his finger. For this son, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. We get to see a father now who's not just compassionate but lavish in his love. 
I think there are a few more compelling images that speak of who God is than of that father running down that road towards his child, despite all that's gone on. There are a few more compelling images of who we are than of the son, weary, hungry, burdened by the weight of his mistakes, standing on that road, seeing his father running towards him. And if you don't know God, if you're not in a relationship with the living God this morning, let me make it really clear. He wants to run and embrace you to celebrate your homecoming just to the way the father in the parable does. Here's the thing about this story, though. There is actually one thing that the son does get right. He's right when he says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son and to expect to be treated as a servant. Sin is a very religious word, isn't it? And I said this is about relationship, not religion. So let me make this really clear before we go any further. So sin has consequences and costs, and he has sinned. And this word sin, it's actually a word that comes from archery. Um, And what it means is it means an arrow that has fallen short of the target. I know the word sin takes on various different meanings culturally, but that's what we mean when we're talking about it. In Romans 3.23, it says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all fall short of the glory of God when we do things, deliberately or otherwise, little or large, that aren't what God intends for us. We all get it wrong, sometimes deliberately, sometimes we don't mean to. You might be thinking, well, I've never stole a car or committed any crime. Neither have I. Nor have most people, but all have sinned and fall short. If it helps, we can think of sin like this. There's a little acronym for shove off God. I'm in charge. Not your way, mine. The son in this parable, he hadn't done anything illegal. The money was, was rightfully his, but he had in no uncertain terms told his father to shove off, that he was in charge, that he was going to live his way. And there's some consequences that he expected when he returned to his father. He expected that there would be no relationship there, that that would be gone. He expected that there would be no relationship for him in his father's house. Those consequences are the same for anyone that chooses to live their life. Saying, shove off God, I'm in charge. Where's the good news? Let me read to you a little bit more from Romans 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood this is the crucial bit to be received by faith have to make the choice to follow Jesus there is a consequence there is a cost to a sin to the sins that we commit but John 3.16 tells us this, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's desire is for a relationship with you. So much so that he sent Jesus. And when Jesus goes to the cross, he takes the punishment for our sins. He removes the the obstacle that comes between us and our relationship with God if we choose to let him. 
removes the obstacle that prevents us from freely living in our true identity as children of God. And then he rises again, death defeated, and the hope of eternity, the hope of heaven available to everybody, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit available to everybody that chooses to follow him. <coughs> what this parable demonstrates about God as well is his mercy and his grace. In his mercy, God doesn't give us the things that we deserve. The rightful consequences and cost of our sin. Jesus pays the cost instead. In his grace, he gives us what we don't deserve. The abundance of love and blessings that come with choosing to accept Jesus. The constant fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Like the son expects rightly to be rejected by his father and treated as a servant. Instead, he receives his father's mercy and is welcomed home. Like the son expects to receive a servant's portion and nothing more. Instead, he receives the grace of his father who lavishly showers him in the best he can give him. So what do we have to do to take hold of that? We have to do just what the son in the parable does. Repent. Now, repent is another one of those religious words, and this is about relationships, so let me make it really clear what that means. Repent means to turn. That's what the son does, isn't he? He turns back to his father. He returns to his father. I think we can make two mistakes when we think about repentance. We can think that it simply means saying sorry. That's important. That's part of it. But also, we can get so caught up in the things that we are turning from that actually we never get round to doing it because, do I have to leave this behind? Do I have to leave that behind? And we never end up making the turn towards God. Repentance isn't about moving from a list of no's over here to a list of yeses over here. That is a religious attitude. This is about choosing to turn to a relationship with God. There will be some things that get left behind here. Of course they will. They get worked out in the day-to-day life of following Jesus. This isn't about what the things you're turning from are. This is about who we get to turn to. John 1, 12, 13 says this. It's all who did receive him, that's Jesus, those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a father's will or human decision, but born of God. When we choose to accept Jesus through his sacrifice at the cross, we get to live in that new and true identity as children of God. John Mark promised you I was going to be short and I'm coming into land. So let me ask you this. Are you still like the son in the first part of the parable? Busy building an identity for yourself and things like your job, your money, your appearance, by being as successful as you can be. There's nothing really wrong with those things in and of themselves, but they're not who you are. They're not who God made you to be. Maybe you're like the sun once it had all gone wrong. You're burdened by your past. Your failures and mistakes, they're what you think has come to define you. Not the fearfully and wonderfully made image bearer God says you are. Or perhaps 
You've not recognized that this is about relationship. Maybe you've been around for a while, you've been doing religious things, but you've never actually taken hold of that relationship with God. Wherever you are, I want to give you an opportunity in a moment to make that turn towards your heavenly father who desires you to know each other, who's longing to see you stood on that track so he can come running to you. So in a moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask if you want to decide today to follow Jesus, if you want to decide today to step into that relationship with your heavenly father, um, I'm going to read a, a prayer from this little book. It's called Why Jesus. It's a short book. It's a brilliant book that explains a lot about the Christian faith, a lot about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I'm just going to read the prayer through. And then in a moment, if you want to, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say it with me to respond. Maybe for the first time, maybe it's to come back. The prayer goes like this. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit. Please be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to ask, would everybody mind just closing their eyes for a moment? I'm not going to come running at you. But what I want to do is give you all an opportunity to do just like the sun does, to stand yourself on that track, to turn to your heavenly father and for him to come running towards you. If you want to do that, if you want to pray that prayer with me, would you just raise your hand? Maybe it's for the first time. I see your hand. Thank you very much. Maybe it's for the second time. Maybe it's for the thousandth time. Maybe right now you're, you're not sure what this means for you. Maybe you're not sure about what this might mean giving up. Let me tell you this. This room is full of people this morning because they know the God that they come to is far better than anything they've asked to leave behind. Maybe you think your life's pretty good as it is. Maybe you think you don't need God. How much better would it be to be in fellowship with the God who made you, who loves you so deeply that he sent Jesus to the cross for you? Maybe you just want to find out. If you want to, I'll give it a couple more minutes. If you want to pray that prayer with me, if you want to experience the love of your heavenly father this morning, if you want him to come running to you, would you just raise your hand? Okay. So I'm going to read it through. If you haven't raised your hand, you're still welcome to read it through with me. This is between you and God. Make this prayer your own, in your own thoughts as I read it. Lord Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. 
I now receive a gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. To find out more about King's Church Warrington, visit our website or find us on Facebook and Instagram.